Good afternoon, not good evening. Good afternoon, it's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Sean Hannity is on vacation today. So I am stepping in for him, particularly with all the traffic and and weather we've got out there. Let's get into the big headlines of the day. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Ted Cruz looks like he is striking the compromise on the Senate health care plan to try to get it passed. Mitch McConnell thought he was going to be able to get it through before the 4th of July break. That's not now going to happen. McConnell's saying, however, that he hopes to get it done right after they come back from the 4th of July break. So what is the Cruz compromise? It is this. Cruz wants a provision in the health care plan that would say as long as insurance companies in states offer one Obamacare-compliant plan, They can then offer any other plan they want to offer that's not Obamacare compliant. Remember, one of the things with Obamacare is that you have to have minimum coverage for a host of things, and it drives up coverage costs. For example, men under the Obamacare plan have to pay for their pregnancy. Women have to pay for their prostate exam. Senior citizens have to pay for their pediatric dental. Um, And the reason they do this is they want to spread costs around. And that was one of the things that Obamacare tried to do is spread costs. So men have insurance policies that require them to pay for coverage of a pregnancy that they will never get. Women are required to pay for a prostate exam they will never get. Uh, The senior citizens have to pay for juvenile dental treatment that they don't have any worry about to spread the costs out and try to bring the cost down for everyone. Well, the problem is that by everyone covering all of these things in their health care plans, it drives up the overall cost of health care. Before Obamacare, before the Affordable Care Act, people could go out and they could custom tailor a plan. They could custom tailor a plan that, for example, said, I'm not going to pay a copay when I go to the doctor. Instead, I'm going to pay out of pocket. But if I have to be in the hospital, I don't want to pay anything out of pocket at all. And the insurance company could structure a health care plan along those lines. So if they went to the doctor on a regular basis, they didn't have to pay anything or they they paid everything out of pocket, but they had virtually no cost if they went into the hospital. And really healthy people who never go to the doctor, well, they could take that plan and they could save a lot of money. They can't do that under Obamacare. Under Obamacare, remember, you've got essentially the, the, the bronze, silver and the gold plated plans. And all of the plans tend to be more expensive than the health care plans that existed before Obamacare. And they're required to cover more things. And the left sees this as a good thing. The left sees it as a very good thing that every all of these things are covered. So no one's without. The problem is that people can't afford it. And so they've taken a healthcare situation and an insurance situation and they've made it more expensive for people than it was in the past. So what Ted Cruz is saying with this plan is, listen, let's allow people to not have to buy the Obamacare plan. Let's allow people to go back to the old way where they could pick an insurance plan that did less. Now, to get around the liberal argument that they're cutting services, we're going to still say 
insurance companies have to offer the Obamacare plan. So we're not cutting the Obamacare plan. So the left can't accuse the Republicans of uh, cutting back services. No, they're not getting rid of the Obamacare plan. The Obamacare plan is still there. But we're going to allow insurance companies to offer other cheaper plans that don't do as much so that people who don't want to pay all the money for their prostate exam that they don't even have, they don't have to. They can get a plan custom tailored to women. They can get a plan custom tailored to men. They can get a plan just for their kids. And what Cruz has told McConnell and the Senate Republican leadership is if they will do that, if they will allow that language into the Republican health care plan, then he and Mike Lee and Ron Johnson and some of the other holdouts, they would be willing to not ask for such big tax cuts. And allow that money instead not to be a subsidy, but direct coverage payments for individuals in Medicaid. Now, the liberals in the Republican conference, they like that. They like more money for Medicaid. The liberals in the Republican conference don't want any cuts to Medicaid. Now, keep in mind, there are no cuts to Medicaid. When liberals say that the Republicans are going to cut Medicaid, that's actually a lie. There is no cut to Medicaid happening. And when the media reports that it's so disingenuous, Medicaid spending is still going to increase. It's just the Republicans intended to lower the rate of increase. So Medicaid spending is still going to go up. It's just not going to go up as high or as quickly as Barack Obama's Affordable Care Act would have. But there's still an increase. When liberals talk about cuts, what they're really talking about is, is cuts to the rate of increase not actual cuts, but they're calling it cuts and the media is going along with it. So what the liberal Republicans want is they, they don't want as rapid a cut to the increase in Medicaid. They, they want Medicaid to explode. They want to grow it big. Well, what Cruz is saying is we will, if you give us this, because we know this will lower costs for people, we won't object to leaving in some of the tax increases on the super rich. And then that money can go to cover your Medicaid expenses. Now, it looks like McConnell may very well do this. It looks like they may have the votes to be able to do it. If so, when they come back from their um, 4th of July recess, they may very well be able to pass this. Now, there's one hang up there, and that's called constituents. These Republican senators are going to be encountering constituents over their holiday, and some of their constituents are very unhappy. Only 12% of America apparently likes the health care plan. Although less than one-tenth of one percent of America probably has even read the health care plan. People don't even know what's in it. They just hear about it in the media, the very same media that says these are cuts when they're not cuts. The president this morning took to Twitter. I know, don't grit your teeth on this one, though. It was good. The president took the Twitter this morning and said, if you can't get this done, let's just repeal Obamacare. And then we'll spend August in Washington together coming up with a new plan to replace it. That has been Sass's idea. This was Ted Cruz's idea originally, and Mike Lee, and Marco Rubio, and Rand Paul, and the House Freedom Caucus. This is what they wanted originally. Go on and repeal Obamacare. Do not make the repeal effective immediately. Make the repeal effective January 1st. Once you have repealed Obamacare completely then you're going to force the Democrats to come to the table to structure a new health care plan. 
because they know that at a date certain, January 1, 2018, Obamacare is going away. So have the Democrats come to the table and negotiate. And if the Democrats don't want to come to the table, you can use that as a campaign issue against them in 2018. Otherwise, Obamacare is going to be repealed. This is a good idea. This is what I've advocated for years. And this is what I advised friends of mine in the White House before they even got there, after the election in November. I wrote about this. I talked about it on the radio. I, I stand by it as being a good idea. What you need to do, what you should do, is just go on and repeal Obamacare. Repeal it completely, word for word, but make the repeal effective January 1st. So then you've got July, August, September, October, November, and December to come up with a new health care plan that more people like and that serves a better purpose. Because even Democrats are willing to concede Obamacare needs work. Even Bill Clinton is out there complaining that the, the working class blue collar workers in America, Obamacare is a bum deal for them. So admit that, acknowledge it privately. The Democrats are willing to do it. If the Republicans would take the president and Ben Sass and others seriously on this and just repeal Obamacare, they could repeal it through reconciliation because it passed through reconciliation. Repeal it all the way and then structure a new plan. That seems to make the most sense. That seems to be the path that could actually guarantee some bipartisanship. Now, you should know I am opposed to bipartisanship because there are two parties in Washington, the evil party and the stupid party. When they get together and do something that's both evil and stupid, that is the definition of bipartisanship. We should not want bipartisanship. Nonetheless, the president and Republicans seem to crave bipartisanship right now. The Democrats should take ownership of the problem as well. And the best way for them to take ownership of the problem is to repeal Obamacare and tell them either come to the table and sit down and come up with something with the Republicans or else. And if they want to take or else, they've handed the Republicans a campaign issue for 2018. It's 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson in for Sean Hannity this afternoon here in Atlanta. The New York Times, they had a story this morning. There's a new report out that the South is going to be devastated by climate change. That it's the end of the world for the South. And everybody's going to move because the rise of the oceans, the growth of mosquitoes, droughts, famine, desert, starvation. You know, I'm not someone who completely dismisses climate change. I think the world has always had climate change. Whether people were here or not, uh, there have always been seasons and seasons of climate change. Uh, there are seasons where it is hot, called summer. There are seasons where it is cold, called winter. And there are definite temperature increases around the world. I, I think objectively you can see that in the data, although I think the data overstates it because the cities have grown. They've created heat islands. And many of the temperatures that are showing massive spikes in temperature are in areas that once were very rural but now are very urban and so they cause a spike in temperature uh, from the heat island effect and then what you see in those heat islands like we see around here in atlanta is you get uh, afternoon thunder showers that grow up get very large and cool things down by dropping rain and this feedback loop as things get hotter uh, the more the storms come and cool things back down and you see that 
but I'm not automatically dismissive of climate change. I used to be, but I'm not because I've been around enough. I, I pay attention enough. I, I do see trends in the world. As to whether or not it's mankind, I think that much of the left overstates it. Much of the left is very hostile to humanity in general. They view humanity, uh, I mean, because uh, secularism has become a religion, environmentalism has become a religion, uh, mankind is, um, is, is sin, is original sin on the planet, and if men weren't here, the world would be pure, and, and the left does that. And so mankind is automatically presumed to be the polluter and the cause of everything. I think it vastly overstates humanity's role in global warming but so the new york times is publishing this this huge story about how economically devastating it's going to be in the south uh, because of hurricanes because of floods because of ocean risings and on and fires and you name it they've been predicting this hurricane disaster though for 20 years since I, before I was in college, they've been saying this. And every time there's a major hurricane, whether it was Andrew, whether it was Katrina, where it was Sandy, there's, aha, see, it's true. But we hardly have any hurricanes. I mean, when I was a kid in the 80s, we would come home from Dubai. There's talk about global warming. We'd come home from Dubai in the summer to my grandparents in South Louisiana. And every summer, you'd have three or four hurricanes roll through or tropical storms. We don't have that anymore. Not in Louisiana, not here in Georgia. We have occasional ones. We had one last week, but they hardly ever happen. But on top of that, and more importantly, back in the 80s and 90s, there were a group of Canadian scientists who, using the same sorts of data and modeling, concluded that the United States was going to become a giant desert. I remember studying this distinctly in eighth grade geography with Mr. Lake. This this study came out and the Midwest, the heartland, all of it, it was going to become a desert. It was going to become a desert because of global warming and all of these nightmare scenarios. Now, part of it was, of course, it was the Canadians trying to scare businesses, trying to get business to move to Canada. But it seems like the same thing is happening here, the doom and the gloom and the fear. And when these things don't pan out because they never have panned out, you get people even more skeptical of the science because scientism isn't really science. When we come back, that controversial NRA ad scaring the left. Thirty-eight after the hour, Eric Erickson here in for Sean Hannity, who is on vacation, and I'll be with you here through seven o'clock doing my own show on WSB from five to seven. Oh boy, this NRA stuff! Uh, so I looked in the local paper today, and uh, the headline. In fact, let me pull this up so I get the headline right because it's such garbage. Um, just a load of horse manure. Um, where is it? The NRA video is even upsetting gun owners. Right. I want to play this video for you. This is from Dana Lash, a friend of mine. I fill in for her on the radio on occasion. Uh, She is on uh, WSB radio overnight. She's syndicated radio shows. She's also got a TV show on The Blaze. You see her on Fox News and CNN a lot. She was with me at CNN as a CNN contributor for a couple of years. Uh, And in April, April 7th, she and the NRA, they released this video. 
They use their media to assassinate real news. They use their schools to teach children that their president is another Hitler. They use their movie stars and singers and comedy shows and award shows to repeat their narrative over and over again. And then they use their ex-president to endorse the resistance, all to make them march, make them protest, make them scream racism and sexism and xenophobia and homophobia, to smash windows, burn cars, shut down interstates and airports, bully and terrorize the law abiding, until the only option left is for the police to do their jobs and stop the madness. And when that happens, they'll use it as an excuse for their outrage. The only way we stop this, the only way we save our country and our freedom is to fight this violence of lies with the clenched fist of truth. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place. So let me just read you some of the, in fact, I'm going to do this in real time for you, Dana Lash. NRA ad and I, I want to read you some of the headlines when you put that in uh, Dana Lash NRA headline uh, NRA ad condemning protests against Trump raises partisan anger Dana Lash takes shots at biased media in an NRA ad the NRA just released a violent terrifying ad this chilling NRA ad calls on its members to save America by fighting this advertisement was released on April 7th, 2017. April 7th, 2017. Now, let me read you the local story. And um, this is from The Telegraph down in Macon today. This is how they report this. And this is uh, actually written by The Washington Post. They use their media to assassinate real news, the woman's voice says scornfully. They use their schools to teach children the presidents and other Hitler. They use their movie stars and singers in comedy shows and award shows to repeat their narrative over and over again. It may sound like an excerpt from North Korean state television railing against the evil Americans and their corporate democracy, corp corrupt democracy on the far side of the Pacific. But these are the opening lines of a new recruitment video by the National Rifle Association. The video is just over a minute long, but has generated 3.3 million views and loads of controversy. And they highlight a comment. I'm an old white guy and a life member of the NRA, but this BS is disgusting. When you spew crap like this and you don't speak for me anymore, I try to avoid doing things on the spur of the moment, but I'm thinking about canceling my membership. How do we know this person is an NRA member? Maybe he is, maybe he's not. But this Washington Post story, which is comparing the NRA to North Korean propaganda, which is what the Washington Post often is, just it takes it at face value. They wouldn't do that for a, a, a conservative, would they? And then another person, Steve Vander Lacey. It almost looks like you're encouraging violence against demonstrators. Just let the police do their jobs. When and if protests get out of hand. That's exactly what she said in the ad. That is exactly what she said in the ad. Did this guy even watch it? Now, here's the thing. And this is important to understand. This is manufactured and it's organized outrage. 
It's organized and manufactured outrage trying to hurt the NRA. They're not really targeting Dana per se, although they'll go after her advertisers, I'm sure. But this is actually trying to get the NRA to to back down on something, trying to get Republicans to disown the NRA, trying to give the left a win against the NRA at a time where it's hard to beat the NRA because Republicans control Congress and the White House. That's what this is for. It is also trying to be outraged at that bit that points out the real outrage. You know, this is one of the the increasing tactics of the left these days. Instead of being outraged by something that's outrageous, they get outraged by that which points out the outrage. So instead of being outraged by the left actually burning cities down, they're outraged by someone being outraged by it. I mean, if, look at the CNN stuff these days with Donald Trump. Instead of being, instead of CNN covering the president, they're focused instead on the president calling fake, fake news. They're 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 focused on that, and then there are a bunch of stories, by the way, from other media outlets on CNN's reaction to the president's reaction to CNN's reaction to the president. None of that's news, but they would rather cover that than the underlying story. They would rather cover that than cover the fact that CNN blew it with two big stories. That's what all of this is. It is manufactured outrage. You cannot tell me it's not manufactured outrage. When this NRA ad came out in April and we're only getting the outrage today, it was well orchestrated by a left-wing group. It is not a coincidence that the major organizations that picked this up and ran with it to begin with were a bunch of left-wing think tanks and left-wing publications. And that's how easy it was to trickle into the mainstream media because the mainstream media is inbreeding with the left I mean that's why you've got all these mental defects in the in reporting these days that's why they're retracting stuff so quickly is because they're inbred they are inbred with a bunch of Democrats and you know what inbreeding does you've got Democratic activists who suddenly become objective reporters you have objective reporters who suddenly become Democratic activists you know, I did a presentation for a group of billionaires one time uh, who are they're conservative billionaires who are looking at giving money to various causes. And they asked me to come in and talk about this to them. It was amazing to me even then. And it remains amazing to me how often liberals go from liberal blogs and liberal think tanks to being objective reporters, supposedly objective reporters, to going back to the Obama White House. You had the Washington, um, you had the one of the Washington Bureau top reporters for the Washington Post go to be um, Joe Biden's press secretary. You had Jay Carney leave time as its Washington Bureau chief to be the press secretary of the White House. The Joe Biden reporter, her husband is a political reporter for the Wall Street Journal. You had Linda Douglas of ABC News leave ABC News to be the propaganda minister for the Obamacare campaign for the White House. Remember, she's the one who encouraged people to round up their neighbors and turn them in if they lied about Obamacare. You had the the State Department spokesman. I mean, and, and they point well. Look at look at what's her name, um, Heather Nauert, who who's now the State Department's press secretary. Yeah, she's the only one. You have, I, I mean, I don't have enough fingers and toes to count the number of reporters, objective reporters, who went to work for the Obama administration. 
And I can count all of the reporters who have left to go work for George Bush or for Donald Trump with just one hand. It is a great disparity. And by the way, that's one reason the media is so angry with Donald Trump. Because many of them were so convinced Hillary Clinton was going to win, they were getting their resumes ready because they would love a federal pension plan. Because newspapers are going under nationally. They wanted to get out of the newspaper business and they were going to go work for Hillary Clinton and they were going to get a federal retirement. And now they can't. Donald Trump has deprived them of that. that. And that is why they're so angry with Donald Trump. That is why they continue to browbeat him every day over the slightest thing, because he denied them the retirement they wanted, and they know it. It's Eric Erickson in for Sean Hannity this afternoon. It is 55 after the hour here in Atlanta. Radar clearing out for now. Uh, we got 12, a standard traffic situation. There's some breaking news right now, developing story. Four people have been shot at a New York hospital. Uh, it is the 16th floor of Bronx Lebanon Hospital Center near Yankee Stadium. Uh, original report was that two were shot. Four people have been shot. It appears that the shooter is a former employee of the hospital uh, we will keep an eye on the story as it continues to develop um, it well prayers for those involved um, it appears to be disgruntled employee situation um, but as this develops we will continue by the way nasa is denying reports that it's running a child slave colony on mars yeah, my silence is intentional here. I want you to take that in. NASA is denying it's running a child slave colony on Mars. This is the 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 left-wing nut jobs who pretend to be conservatives over at InfoWars who parody the right and um, have suckers buy into it. Uh, these are the people who believe that the moon landing was a hoax, but somehow we were able to make it to Mars. Think about that for a minute. These are the people who believe the moon landing was a hoax, but somehow or another... Um, <laughs> The, the, the we have a prison planet on Mars, a child slave colony. These people need some mental help, I would venture to say. Oh, my goodness gracious. Y'all, I didn't even intend to talk about that. The headline just came by. Um, I do want you to know that uh, Despicable Me 3 is out this weekend. And I am very glad for that. My kids want to go to see Despicable Me 3. And the Spider-Man movie is coming out very soon. I guess it is this coming week, Spider-Man Homecoming comes out. And there is not yet a bad review. Not yet a bad review. That's pretty amazing. I am really excited to see this movie. Now, I, I liked the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Well, the first two. The last one wasn't that great. Uh, and I didn't mind the Andrew Garfield one. It wasn't, it was not fantastic, but it wasn't terrible, I didn't think. So I'm really excited to see this one, considering it's getting the best reviews. In fact, all of the reviews I've seen so far say that the Spider-Man movie that's coming out is the best Marvel Universe movie made to date. That's really impressive. 
I'm excited by this. Now, I want to shift gears when we come back, uh, and I want to move into a Georgia story. It's a relevant Georgia story, and you need to know the name Tim Gill. And you need to know that as we head into a gubernatorial race, some of our Republican leaders in the state have been over backwards to accommodate the concerns of Tim Gill, who is a radical left-wing activist. And I want you to know the details of this. It has to do with religious liberty, but it's bigger than that issue, folks. The Republicans in the state, David Ralston, Casey Cagle, even Governor Deal, they have kowtowed to a gay rights left-wing activist who hates Christians. And I wanted to explain the details to you because it has national ramifications, but it's happening here in Georgia. It is 8 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB. I'm in for Sean Hannity, who is on vacation, and I'll be with you till 7 o'clock tonight. A long, long day. I want to move into... Let me see. I got some time here. and uh, These long segments where I don't have to throw to traffic and everything else. I can actually talk for a few minutes. I want to talk to you just for a minute about the religious liberty legislation that failed here in Georgia, vetoed by the governor. Uh, Rolling Stone is doing a profile of a guy named Tim Gill, who has been on my radar now for a number of years. Tim Gill lives in Colorado. He is a gay rights activist billionaire. He was a head of a software company, software developer, and he pooled money with a bunch of other, not just gay rights activists, and this is important to understand here, it wasn't just gay rights activists, but it was a bunch of, of rich people who are deeply hostile to organized religion in the United States. There is speculation, and again, this, I want to bracket here, just put this in a parenthetical, there is speculation, unconfirmed and unsubstantiated, but believed by many conservative activists, that it is if from within this group that these Christian bakers and florists and photographers around the country have been intentionally targeted. Now, let me close the bracket. Just keep that in mind. Set that aside. There is, by the way, a lot of proof in a lot of these cases. I mean, I wrote a whole book about it, about how these Christians are actually being intentionally targeted. Whether or not it's this group or not, I don't know. There's, there's long been speculation. But now, that bracket aside, Gill has funded gay rights activist causes and political causes around the country. And along with the George Soros Project, in fact, even here in Georgia, there are a number of Democrat DAs in the metro area, DeKalb County, Fulton County, and others. Uh, there are uh, people who are running, getting money from these left-wing groups from Tim Gill and George Soros. They're flooding money in to try to take over at the state level and the importance of this is that they're trying to shift state legislatures to the left and they're trying to do it through surreptitious means by bringing in flowing money into races that typically don't have a ton of money bringing in a lot of money from outside states to fund these campaigns 
and then using those people who get elected if they're district attorneys to support black lives matter sorts of things uh, to go after target conservative businesses conservative groups and to punish christian business owners uh, that's what they're doing one of the things that tim gill did is he he funded organized opposition to religious liberty around the country in fact in georgia it's coming out of this Rolling Stone magazine that Tim Gill put a lot of the money in the gay rights groups who opposed the religious liberty legislation in Georgia. And I would remind you all, we need to go back in the, in, in the time machine here and go back to what happened. In 2015 and 2016, the lieutenant governor... The Speaker of the House, the chairman of the major committees in the state, they took a strong stand in support of religious liberty. And in 2016, a federal RIFRA passed in Georgia. Keep in mind that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is a federal law that only applies to the federal government. And more than 30 states have a state-level RIFRA. And all RIFRA says is that you have to treat the religious part of the First Amendment with the same degree of freedom that you treat the press and and speech clauses. See, the Supreme Court has gotten the religious liberty wrong in this country in the past. Under Supreme Court precedent, freedom of speech and freedom of the press can only be restricted using a strict scrutiny standard that is the hardest thing to meet according to the supreme court in order to pass a law that restricts speech there has to be essentially no other way to pass the law to accomplish a constitutional purpose except for that restriction of speech So speech restrictions and press restrictions and laws based on race and gender, they've all got the Supreme Court gives them strict scrutiny. But even though the Establishment Clause and the Freedom of Religion Clauses are the first two clauses of the First Amendment, the Supreme Court has long said that you only need a reasonable basis to restrict religion. So you need a, a very high level of scrutiny to restrict freedom of press and freedom of of speech. But you don't need a strict scrutiny. You just need a reasonable basis to restrict the freedom of religion and the establishment of religion. So what RIFRA did is it said, no, you've got to give the first and second clauses of the First Amendment. You've got to treat those with strict scrutiny as well. And that's a problem. Because the Supreme Court's doing a double standard. They're all part of the First Amendment. They should all be treated the same. And so RIFRA requires now that religion be treated with the same level of scrutiny by the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court came back and said, okay, that's fine, but this only applies to the federal government. It doesn't apply to states. States have to adopt their own. So 30-some-odd states did. Georgia was one of the ones that never passed RIFRA. And the reason Georgia never passed it is because the Democrats at the time, many of whom are now the Republicans who run the state, They said, well, this stuff's never going to happen in Georgia. For God's sakes, we're all Baptists. Well, over time, it did. 
And so in 2016, you had the Speaker of the House and the Lieutenant Governor and the Chairman of all the committees and the Governor himself come out and say, let's pass the federal version of RIFRA in Georgia. And they did. And then the governor vetoed it anyway, even though the governor had said he was willing to support it. The governor then vetoed it. And this year, Casey Cagle and David Ralston said, oh, we we really don't need RIFRA after all. The only thing that changed is that in 2016, they were afraid of primary voters. And once the primaries had passed, they were no longer afraid. And so they suddenly didn't think it was a big issue. It's going to be a big issue again in 2018. It's going to be a big issue in this coming legislative session in 2018 because it's an election year and you're going to see the same thing happen. You're going to see um, David Ralston and Casey Cagle support RIFRA again, and they're going to rely on the governor again to veto it. They will pass it and they will hope that you are completely dumbfounded by what happens, that you will be completely distracted, that you won't be able to recognize that you've been played. Now, I tell you all of that to return full circle to Tim Gill. Tim Gill is the gay rights activist who doesn't like Christians, who encouraged Hollywood studios and businesses to threaten the state of Georgia to tell the state of Georgia that if you pass RIFRA, we're no longer going to take your state subsidies. We're no longer going to spend your state money because that's essentially what they're doing. I mean, Georgia gives them a bunch of subsidies to come make movies in Georgia. We could save money if we didn't have the Hollywood industry. But the, the state has everybody, the Chamber of Commerce has everybody convinced we're making gobs of money by having Hollywood studios come in and take your tax dollars. But he organized that effort, and he organized the the gay rights activists showing up at the state legislature. He organized the harassment and the phone calls. The moral of the story here is that your state Republican leaders in Georgia, but not just in Georgia, it's happening in other states as well, they are willing and able to be bullied by people who wouldn't pee on them if they were on fire. The governor of the state, the speaker of the House of Representatives of the state, and the lieutenant governor who wants to be governor were successfully bullied by anti-Christian activists. That's why we have Donald Trump, folks. Because whether you like him or not, he is not willing to be bullied He's not going to be bullied. I mean, we see this in the stupid fight with Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski where he just needs to knock it off. It's distracting him, but he's doing it because he wants people to know he's not going to be bullied. He's willing to fight. Our governor, our lieutenant governor, our speaker of the House, our Republican leadership in Georgia is not willing to fight, is not willing to stand up for your values, is not willing to do anything for you if it conflicts with a left-wing activist agenda, because they're vastly more scared of the left-wing activists than they are of the Republican-based voters. And the only way to get them scared of you is to run challenges to them in primaries which you should start doing. You out there listening to my voice right now should seriously consider running against incumbent Republicans in the state legislature because they need to understand if they keep kowtowing to gay rights activists who hate their base, 
then their base is going to hate them and run against them and throw them out of office. You really should start challenging these Republicans in the state legislature. It's 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here in for Sean Hannity here until 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, quick check of the radar. We've got a little bit of light rain now moving back into the listening area from Alabama. It is very, very light. Um, it is, let's see, about, well, 12 miles to the west of Dallas, Georgia. Uh, light rain though and by the time it gets to Dallas it may have just completely gone away otherwise the listing area largely is clear for now there's more rain coming though stay here and listen to Kurt Mellish he will bring you up to date on everything now I want to move on and I want to just touch briefly on I, I, I mentioned a little while ago that the nonsensical fight between the president and Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski and he, the president's unfortunate tweet yesterday. I mean, he could have used his tweets for good. He, he could have used them to focus, for example, on Charlie Gard, raise awareness on that issue, maybe cause a change of outcome. I, w- I want to talk about Charlie Gard the bottom of the hour because there are implications for us here. There really are. But I, listen, nobody comes out of this looking good. I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think the president comes out of these fights with the press looking good. I don't think the press comes out of these fights looking good. The press looks as shallow and vapid as they think the president is. I mean, it, was it really worth the coverage of the Time magazine cover? If you haven't heard the story, but yeah, there's, there's probably no one on the planet by now who hasn't heard the story. The president and some of his golf courses had a photoshopped cover of Time magazine with him on the front of it. The president's been on the cover of Time 16 times. But in this one golf course, there was a Time magazine cover of the president and it had been photoshopped. It wasn't the real cover. And the media has talked about this since Friday of last week. I, I it was at my super secret meeting of the vast right wing conspiracy on Wednesday night. I left the meeting, went back to my hotel, went to the hotel bar to see a friend and grab a beer. And there was CNN and they were talking about the Time magazine cover. Who the heck cares about the Time magazine cover? Well, the media does. And that's the problem here. Is how many of you have actually heard any news lately on the news? It is all obsessive coverage about the president. It is all obsessive coverage about what the president has said about the media. You're not hearing about uh, Kate's law that was passed to allow citizens to sue sanctuary cities. You've not heard about the legislation by Congress that passed the House to defund sanctuary cities. You have not heard about Ted Cruz's plan to fix the health care legislation. You have not heard about the president suggesting maybe we should just repeal it and replace it later. You have not heard all of these things I've been telling you about today, making a concerted effort to give you the real news because the media is absolutely obsessed with reporting nothing other than the feud between the president and the media. It is the most self-centered, shallow reporting I have ever seen. It is shameful reporting. Should the president have tweeted what he tweeted about Mika Brzezinski? No. 
I don't think he should have. And I think that those of you who would excuse him and apologize for serve as apologists for it and say it's no big deal and, and say it's justified, you need to understand he put himself and his agenda back on defense. It was another self-inflicted wound. He could have spent his time yesterday talking about Republican policy victories that were occurring while he was tweeting, and instead he decided to do that, and the media spent yet again an entire day covering that and ignoring everything else. And you can say that they wouldn't have covered it anyway, but I don't believe you. They may not have covered it fairly, they may have covered it negatively, but you would have known the Republicans were doing something. And instead all we got was this tit for tat. And, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. One wrong doesn't make a right. Three wrongs don't make rights. But the media is engaging in as much whataboutism as everybody else. You know, I remember when Barack Obama was president, the media willingly ran the stories that Republicans were hostage takers. They were shooting the hostages. They were terrorists. The, The president himself said this, and the media took it and ran with it. And now they're upset that the president's calling them fake news and Republicans think they're terrorists. They think this is dangerous rhetoric. It's only dangerous if you say it about the press, not about Republicans. Terry Erickson here in for Sean Hannity, who's on vacation, and I will stick around until 7 o'clock tonight with my show. Lots and lots of talking and whatnot going on. <sighs> yeah, I don't know that I can talk about you. Well, I'm going to make myself talk about Charlie Gard. The Vatican has... I'm very disappointed in Pope Francis. You should know I'm not Catholic, so... My opinion on the matter doesn't amount to a hill of beans, but none of my Catholic friends much care for him either. And the Vatican has released a statement today essentially saying that, uh, you got to let the kid die, Charlie Gard. For those of you who don't know who Charlie Gard is, Charlie Gard is a baby in a hospital in London. He has a genetic condition that has left him brain damaged. And a court... And bureaucrats have decided Charlie Gard must die. He's going to die. Now, there's an experimental treatment that could save Charlie Gard's life. But a bureaucrat in London determined that he's got no value. So he's got to die. Charlie's parents have the money to take him out of the country. They've raised a million dollars. Actually, I think it's $1.7 million now to transport, transport Charlie from the UK to the United States to undergo an experimental treatment that could save his life and could cure him. And the treatment of Charlie, you should understand, would be good for others who have his condition. Whether he lived or died, going through the experimental treatment would help science advance the cause. But bureaucrats and judges in Great Britain and the European Union determine, and I'm not kidding you, this is what they actually ruled, that even if he were cured, he would still be brain damaged and as a result has no value to society, so he must die. His parents want him to live. Now, nobody can ask Charlie what he wants because he's a baby. Instead of making the default presumption for life, 
the bureaucrats have made the default presumption execution. Now, I mentioned yesterday on the radio, I was on Twitter yesterday morning and tweeted that this would be a time for the president of the United States to use his Twitter account for good and take to Twitter and raise the profile of Charlie Gard. And maybe just maybe through the president raising awareness of this issue, he could grant a reprieve, a stay of execution and allow the parents to bring the child to the United States. And he took to Twitter all right. But instead of talking about Charlie Gard, instead of raising awareness about Charlie Gard, or even raising awareness about what the Republicans were doing in Congress, he decided to attack Mika Brzezinski of MSNBC, called her crazy Mika, said she was bleeding from a facelift at Mar-a-Lago. Social media erupted in outrage. Predictably, Republicans and Democrats were swift to come out, condemn the president for it. And then he did start tweeting about the Republican agenda, never mentioned Charlie Gard damage was done though i mean this is all we've talked about now we're still we're on the second day of media coverage you heard chris chandler talk about it that the president is still tweeting about mika and joe now the president does have supporters who are defending him they're excusing his tweets they're justifying his tweets his staff claims that when punched the president's going to punch back 10 times harder and yeah he he did punch back 10 times harder hit himself in the face in the process hit himself in the agenda put his party and himself back on defense and meanwhile charlie guard is dying he's largely unknown is no powerful person in the world willing to speak up for him the president has just amazing power in 140 characters or less on Twitter. The president literally can change a global conversation. The president literally can get the entire world talking about something that the world otherwise would not be talking about. The world is talking about whether or not Mika Brzezinski had a facelift. They could be talking about a judge in Great Britain ordering a baby to die if the president used his Twitter account to raise awareness on Charlie Gard. But he didn't. So Charlie Gard is going to die while the president is feuding with the TV host on a network few people watch. What's even more appalling is today the Vatican released a statement essentially saying Charlie's got to die. The, the, the Vatican values life, but there are no further treatments, so he's got to die. Let him die. Well, there are further treatments. And that's what's so frustrating about this Vatican statement is they completely ignore the fact that there is an experimental treatment that has shown progress in the United States that his parents could take him to. They have the money, they have the means, they have the availability to take Charlie to the United States to give him this treatment. But a bureaucrat determined that even if he lived, he would have no value to society. So let him die. I mean, it's infuriating to see the Vatican of all places do this. And by the way, you should know there's an update in this case today. Charlie Gard's parents are not going to be allowed to take him home to die because the hospital is afraid they will feed him and let him live. Think about that for a minute. They're afraid the parents might feed him and keep him alive. They're afraid the parents might get him to the United States and keep him alive. The state has determined that Charlie Gard has to die and by God, he better die. Why do I care so much about a child I've never met in a country I don't live in? Because it's going to happen here. Francis Schaeffer, the, the theologian, he wrote a, a book back in the 70s, I think, that The God Who Is There. And he noted 
trend lines that about 30 years after something happens in Britain, it starts happening here. 30 years after stuff happens in Europe, starts happening in the United States, not just Britain, but Europe as a whole. 30 years later, we see the same things coming in this country. In fact, 30 years ago, you saw the euthanasia movement start in Great Britain and Denmark and the Netherlands and continental Europe. And, and in this country now, in California, Oregon, we're seeing uh, euthanasia movements here. Right now, in the Netherlands, they are debating whether or not to allow people who are 65 and older to commit suicide legally with the assistance of doctors if they've just, just decided it's time to die. Perfectly healthy people who've just said, you know what, I got no more value to add, so I'm going to die. It's going to happen here. What we're seeing systematically is a devaluation of life. Your existence contributes to society. But as society becomes more secular, we lose the idea of the fact that we are created in the image of God. And as being created in the image of God, we're all precious and we all have value. When you're a secularist and you believe that this is all there is, there is no tomorrow, there is no hereafter, you're just a random accident of collision of atoms creating nothing that's different than a gorilla except you've got greater consciousness because the atoms collided in a different way. Well, then you can just put yourself out of misery because you're not special in any way. You're just another animal. And we see that with Charlie Gard where he doesn't have any value because he's got a mental defect and so he needs to be executed. He's a baby. And his parents want him to live. His parents have the money to treat him. His parents have the money to take care of him. His parents want to take care of him. But the state not only won't let them, the state won't let them take him home lest they do something to keep him alive. That's how badly the state wants this baby dead. And it's going to start happening here. And don't say it won't, because 10 years ago we were saying gay marriage would never happen. And then it happened. We're saying that transgenderism nonsense wouldn't happen. And then it happened. Years ago we were saying abortion on demand wouldn't happen. And then it happened. It's going to happen here. These cultural trends of secularism, they always start happening here. If you don't draw a line in the sand now and fight it now, in 30 years, you're going to get it. And we have a president of the United States who could have. We have a president of the United States who could have gotten on Twitter and raised the issue of Charlie Gard, raised awareness, and maybe by raising that awareness, grant him a reprieve. And instead, he decided to pick a plastic surgery fight with Mika Brzezinski on Twitter. And that's what people are talking about instead of Charlie Gard, who's going to die now. It is 54 past the hour, 4.54, headed into 4.55 here. Now, we're going to be shifting gears here when we come back in the next hour. I want to talk about the governor's race. We've got, well, a huge slate of Republican candidates in Georgia who want to run for governor. More probably coming. We also have a heated Democratic race that is actually starting to draw national attention. Right now, though, I want to go to the phones. Uh, first up, Peter in Atlanta. You're next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Thanks for putting me on. Sure. Hey, I'm calling um, 
As a former EMS director here in Atlanta, I was listening to you talking about the, the uh, tragic child over in England right now that's uh, um, being talked about, and I, I'm a bit concerned that conservative media and personalities might be going down the same road that we did with Terry Schiavo. Um, you know, when the autopsy was done on Terry Schiavo, um, she was she was no longer viable, and for months and months and months it was argued whether uh, she should be taken off of life support. And um, I, I just wonder what's the difference in this case in your Well, mind. Uh, the difference in my case is that you have parents who want the child to live. The legal guardians want the child to live. Unlike in Chivo, the legal guardian wanted to take her off life support. Uh, and you have judges who, instead of going with the wishes of the legal guardians, have determined to take the child off a feeding tube and a breathing tube. Um, the child's not on life support like Terry Chivo was, um, but actually does have more faculties and functioning than what Terry Chivo did. Uh, I think the bigger overarching concern is that the parents have have the the money and the means to provide an experimental treatment for the child that the doctors who have reviewed the child's case said probably will work. Um, none of the doctors in Terry Shivo's case thought that there really was anything. Uh, the experts who have examined the child there's a, it has a mitochondrial disease uh, believe that this treatment actually would help um, Charlie Gard. So all of those factors, I think, add up to a more distinct case than the Terry Schiavo matter. I, I Honestly, Pete, I, I think the default presumption, though, needs to be this, that the legal guardians of the child, the child's parents, want to take the child to the United States. Why aren't these parents allowed to take their child out of the country? Why must the child die? That is the big issue here. And that's unfortunate. Oh, this is interesting. This is from Frank Thorpe uh, for NBC News. According to the House Sergeant of Arms in Congress, the number of threatening communications aimed at Republicans that have been investigated between January 1st and June 21st of this year, 950. They only had 902 in all of 2016. My goodness gracious. But, you, you know, Dana Lash's video, apparently, that, that tells people to fight back with truth is inciting violence. But Bernie Sanders telling people Republicans want to kill him, that's not. My goodness. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Let's get into the governor's race in Georgia. We haven't spent a lot of time on it. And it is still early. It is admittedly early. But there are a lot of people now thus far who want to run. And I want to tell you, my position is very simply thus far to not take a position on governor. The only person I have said I would support and am actively uh, supporting is Buzz Brockway, who is a longtime friend he is a tech grad, which I won't hold against him. He is running for secretary of state. 
Buzz is a phenomenal guy. I have known him, gosh, since I was in the College of Republicans in college back in the day, 20 years ago, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I guess I have known Buzz longer than I've known my wife, perhaps. Um, and my goodness, in any event, he's running for Secretary of State. He is currently in the state legislature, and I am a billion percent on board Buzz's campaign, and you should be too. Uh, everyone else, though, I just I am happy to, like I did with the 6th Congressional District, open the show up, uh, allow people on. The governor's race continues to grow. We have Brian Kemp, the Secretary of State, is running. Casey Cagle, the Lieutenant Governor, is running. Michael Williams, the State Senator, is running. Uh, Hunter Hill, the State Senator, is running running i think there are some more republicans out there who are running or planning to run as well on the lieutenant governor side i know david schaefer is running uh and uh who else is it jeff mullis is right i can't remember there are several people running uh the attorney general is safe the insurance commissioner is safe the ag secretary agriculture commissioner is safe uh secretary of state lieutenant governor and governor are the big ones on the democratic side you got stacy abrams and stacy evans and this is already being portrayed nationally as shaping up the future of the Democratic Party. The Democratic race between Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans, I've mentioned this briefly the other day. Selena Zito, uh, national columnist, has a story out about this. this is going to shape the field. There's a big fight happening within the Republican Party right now. And the fight is over the direction to go and the type of candidates to recruit because the prevailing wisdom among Democrats these days is that to win, they need to reconsolidate the uh, Obama coalition. And by reconsolidating the Obama coalition, what they mean is uh, college-educated whites, uh, college students of all races, uh, blacks and Hispanics. And in so doing, they think that they can beat the Republicans. I'm not so sure. And here's one of the the things that I think the Democrats miss is uh, black voters and Hispanic voters tend to be culturally more conservative. And as the Democrats go down the road of putting men in women's bathrooms and things like that and, and persecuting Christians and shutting Christianity out of the town square, you're going to see a backlash from culturally conservative minority voters. In fact, we're already seeing that in some cases. For example, some of the biggest supporters of Governor Pat McCrory and the the HB2 in North Carolina that the media would have you believe was so controversial and devastating to the North Carolina economy, turns out it wasn't. Some of the biggest supporters of it were blacks in North Carolina. Just in the same way here in Georgia, Governor Nathan Deal had overwhelming support from black mothers for charter schools. The demographics are no longer lining up the way it used to be. But the Democratic Party, the the consultants in the Democratic Party right now believe that if they can turn out urban, white and minority voters, they can beat back the Republicans at the expense of blue collar voters. They've bought in their minds so much that demography is destiny and demography is shifting against the GOP. Folks, they've been saying demography was going to work against the GOP for as long as I've been alive. The first major reports of this were Richard Nixon's victory in 1972. 
there were big stories that this would be the last time the Republicans would do so well because the demographics of the country were changing. And then Reagan happened and they started all over again the last time. And then when Bill Clinton won, see, see, see the demographics, the demographics. And well, what happened? You got George W. Bush and now you got Donald Trump and they always say it's still demography and yet Republicans keep winning. Demography is not destiny. Events change things. And as the Democrats focus on a more urban, liberal set of voters, they risk losing suburban, exurban, and rural voters, and not just white voters. Hispanic voters, Asian voters, black voters, uh, Korean voters, and there are large populations of Koreans in this country, tend to be some of the most religious Asian voters. Your, your normal, typical Asian voter is actually fairly liberal, fairly Democrat. Uh, Koreans, though, given the history of that country, is one of the largest Presbyterian uh, denominations in the world, is the Korean Presbyterians. They're highly conservative, and they are moving to the right. Hispanic Catholic voters move to the right. The longer a Hispanic family lives in this country, the more likely it is to become conservative. And black voters are more and more conservative these days on social issues as the Democrats raise the culture war when it comes to abortion, when it comes to uh, transgenderism, they're moving to the right on those issues, although they still don't connect with the Republican Party. They may eventually. And so the question for the Democrats is, do you go with a Stacey Abrams, who's a liberal from the city of Atlanta who can get urban voters, or do you go with a Stacey Evans, who connects to blue-collar voters, who comes across as more reasonable and less liberal? She's still a liberal, mind you. She just doesn't appear that way on TV. That's going to be the question for the Democrats. The question for Republicans is, which of these guys is compelling enough because right now it's a big bag of hmm. it's 26 after the hour eric erickson here i i got a text from a buddy of mine and wants to know is, is there somebody just who has a compelling biography running for governor on the Republican side? And I don't know that they do. Probably, my, I'm willing to guess that uh, Michael Williams or Hunter Hill do. Hunter Hill in the military, Michael Williams has a very interesting story as a, as a businessman. And I like both of them. I know Michael better than probably any of them other than Brian Kipp, who himself has a pretty good story. Um, and, you know, Casey Cagle was a small businessman and banker and um, all these guys, I guess you could call them professional politicians now, but uh, the one that does stand out, I think, for a lot of people is Hunter Hill being in the military and also being the guy who really set beer free in Georgia, pushing the legislation to free it up. But can he raise the money? Hunter Hill is saying he wants to raise a million dollars. That's his benchmark right now uh, to run for governor in the Republican primary. That's uh, going to be a lot of money. We'll see if a state senator can raise it. Uh, and he's getting the backings of a lot of conservatives. You know, Sam Teasley, for example, is probably the leader of the conservatives in the state legislature. He's backing Hunter Hill. We'll see where that goes. Coming up, though, we got to move to the minimum wage.
It's 39, almost 40 after the hour. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let me go back to the phones now. I want to talk to Teresa calling from Kingston. Teresa, how are you? Hello. Finally glad I got a hug to talk to you. Absolutely. I agree with a lot of stuff that you said today about uh, the news, not the real news, but all this junk. <laughs> a lot of junk. Yeah. But there's one thing I wanted to comment on and just get out there about the races for, you know, election, the governor and whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that their donations should come from within the state, not from, I, I kind of think of it as a conflict of interest from someone from California to be donating to someone in Georgia. Right. And I think we should have a cap on that and see who can do their use their money to the best. Well, I see what you're saying, and then makes some sense, and I think a lot of people held it against John Ossoff that 90% of his money came from out of state. Uh, the Supreme Court would tell us that we can't actually restrict people from other states giving money. Uh, it may be nice, but I do think that it should be weaponized, so to speak, that we should in Georgia make a big deal out of it when people in other states try to essentially buy a race in Georgia, which is what they did here. Uh, we should, for example, there the George Soros group is trying to fund, and I forget in which counties it is, but there are a couple of uh, DAs in Georgia, a couple of district attorney races where George Soros is spending money trying to get these district attorneys elected to move them to the left and to raise them up as a future crop of Democratic voters. See, this is one thing I don't think a lot of people understand, is one of the smart things that George Soros is doing is he's recognized that the Democratic Party does not have a deep bench. So what he's doing is he's trying to now recruit candidates who are of the far left who will run as moderates and build the bench back for the Democratic Party. So when the time comes for them to run for federal office or for statewide office, he'll have a bunch of super liberal people who have been getting elected as moderates already there. And the real, the more moderate conservative Democrats won't be able to stand against them by then. It was a, a smart thing from. I disagree with him fundamentally. I think these candidates are dangerous, but it was it's smart politics for him to do that, and it's flying under the radar. In Philadelphia, uh, George Soros has funded a, a district attorney who supports Black Lives Matters. For the first time in thirty years, the police union has come out for the Republican. Think about that for a minute. Uh, just unbelievable. So yeah, I want to talk real quick about uh, bringing up to speed on the minimum wage thing I talked to you about the other day. Remember, uh, the University of Oregon produced a study that, or I'm sorry, the University of Washington produced a study that showed that the $13 an hour minimum wage in Seattle is actually having negative economic consequences. There are actually, uh, the current workers are now making less money because their hours have been cut back and poorer people are uh, are not being hired now. 
And it was all foreseeable. It was all foreseeable. It, I told you this would happen if they did it. I remember filling in for Rush one day saying that they're going to see unemployment go up. They're going to see benefits go down if they raise the minimum wage. And now you've got other places around the country who are, who've just jacked up to a $15 an hour minimum wage. So the University of Washington economists do this study and shows that what everyone said was going to happen actually happened. So do you know the response of the Seattle City Council? They've fired the economists who are doing the study, and they're not going to pay them anymore because they don't like the results of the study. So now they've gone into the University of California at Berkeley and found some communist economists to do the study for them because they want to show them exactly what they wanted. They they want them to to see what they want to see. They don't want to see the truth. As I'm saying this, Bernie Sanders just tweeted out, remember when $15 an hour was radical? Not so radical anymore, thanks to people fighting for a living wage. Congratulations, Minneapolis. Oh, yeah, congratulations, Minneapolis. You've just devastated your economy, and Seattle just proves it for us. And what's going to happen? Well, they're going to see businesses flee, and they're going to scream racism and not recognize that they're idiots. You know, several weeks ago, we went to uh, Sedona, uh, the beginning of June. We were out there for a week. Uh, We flew into Phoenix and then went to Sedona. We were stayed up there most of the time, drove to the Grand Canyon. Uh, Just that whole northern Arizona area was beautiful and it it was hot, but the heat wave hadn't hadn't hit. And the higher you go into Arizona, the higher the elevation, the cooler it is. It was really, really nice. So when we flew out there, there's a story today that Delta is bringing back airplane meals and they're sprucing them up there. They're working even like Holman and Finch here in Atlanta and others to gourmet up their meals, even in economy. Well, we we had gotten upgraded to first uh, class, Christy, me and the kids. And so I went ahead and had the forethought to order kids meals for the kids in first class which you can do if you're on a flight with a meal and you're a sky miles member you can log into delta and you can select you want a kids meal y'all it was garbage i mean it was like throw up garbage it was uh chicken nuggets like three chicken nuggets that just looked gross they they were not cooked at all uh yeah i mean they were warm they were just it was gross greasy garbage but it was three or four of these chicken nuggets piled on top of this pasta stuff and corn mixed into the pasta it was like a lasagna with corn and chicken nuggets pile. it was horrifying and the adult meals were no better and i just the whole time i was thinking reading this article today that delta's going to try to gourmet up its meals you know when i was a kid and we would fly back and forth to dubai all the time delta was still serving meals even on a flight like from atlanta to baton rouge louisiana an hour flight they were serving meals and they had these fantastic turkey croissant sandwiches it was you probably remember it, it was roast turkey and croissants with lettuce and you had a little mayonnaise on the side if you wanted they were good sandwiches it was my introduction to the turkey sandwich it was good and in first class you got chicken fingers like actual real chicken fingers and honey mustard or barbecue sauce your choice 
And nowadays they're trying to gourmet stuff so much, so much of the the food on it. Listen, I get the joke that airline food typically isn't good anyway. Yes, you're right. But now they're going to gourmet it up. All of it was gross. The adult meals were gross. The kids meals were gross. Nobody wants to eat that garbage, Delta. Just give us something normal people want to eat. It was horrifying. Yuck. All right. We're changing subjects when we come back. Independence Day. Nine after the hour, I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. Boy, my fourth hour of radio today. Welcome. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Storms in the area moving back in, even heavier stuff coming over from Alabama right now. Uh, the worst of it is crossing over from Carroll into Douglas County, um, moving about 15 miles an hour. This storm there, let me zoom into it. There is a little bit of hail in this storm very little bit um, but it is a heavy intense storm there's also a band from uh, i-20 at 285 on the west side kind of going up the northeast into the city around the connector uh, to 7585 split and 400 druid north druid hills you're about to get it uh, doraville some light rain lilburn snellville loganville you're all in the path of very heavy storm loganville you're going to get hit in the next 15 minutes with rain john's creek as well very heavy rain alpharetta and roswell lighter rain but more coming in peachtree city you got a brand new storm that's just uh popped up on radar around your area very heavy rain headed towards fayetteville so lots of rain in the areas scattered isolated pockets uh there's not a big band like we had the other day now i, I before i get into what i wanted to talk about this hour I want to just mention something somewhat randomly. Um, It's not even news, but if you're looking for a movie to go see this weekend, there's a lot of stuff out, and this is not a kid-friendly movie, and I have not seen it yet, and I'm desperate to go see it because the director, Edgar Wright, has made some of my favorite films, including Hot Fuzz, uh, which I absolutely love. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, At World's End, uh, a great movie. He has made a movie called Baby Driver. It is filmed completely in Atlanta, and it is not a movie that hides the fact that it's Atlanta. It is a movie where Atlanta is one of the characters in the movie. Um, Edgar Wright makes fascinating films, and when you look at all of the films this year, I was reading uh, Sonny Bunch over at the Washington Free Beacon. Of the 20 highest-grossing films released thus far in 2017, only one of them, Get Out, is an original project every other one of the top 20 films this year has been a sequel or a reboot or an adaption of a popular book or a franchise extension so you've had guardians of the galaxy 2 cars 3 wonder woman kong skull island beauty and the beast power rangers Uh, The Boss Baby, Captain Underpants, uh, The Mummy. There have been very, very few original ideas on the screen this year. 
And part of that is Hollywood studios are so skittish about doing something novel uh, because audiences can be so fickle that uh, they don't do uh, they don't do creative new movies anymore by and large. And that is unfortunate. This movie, Baby Daddy, is a or Baby Daddy, Baby Driver. <laughs> Baby Driver is a completely original film. It is completely original in its uh, plot. It is original in its screenplay. It is not a franchise. It is not intended to become a franchise. It's not intended to become a sequel. It is a standalone original movie. And Atlanta is where it is set. And I cannot wait to see it. Uh, the reviews that it is getting are off the charts. Uh, so if you want to go see a good, if you want a good date movie this weekend, it is an, a somewhat action thriller, some violence, not kid-friendly movie. It's got Kevin Spacey in it, uh, Jamie Foxx in it, and what's his name, John Hamm from uh, Mad Men, they're in it, along with some others. I just, I, I, I haven't seen it. I want to go see it. Everyone who's seen it thus far that I know uh, said it's phenomenal. So if you need to go see a good movie this weekend, Baby's Driver or Baby Driver. Uh, okay, now I do want to talk about the big topic this hour, and it is a topic I think, well, everyone needs to be talking about, and we would be remiss if we didn't do this as I do every year at this time because I'm not going to be here on Monday or Tuesday. So if you will allow me at this moment, <clears throat> when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. And when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, 
and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over the states. To prove these, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people, unless those people should relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions from within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states, for that purpose obstructing the laws of naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migration hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of land. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Twenty-six after the hour. I got to tell you guys, I'm totally freaked out by this Lone Star Tick story. Katie Walls at uh, WSB TV at the bottom of the hour is going to be doing a report on it. Have you heard about this tick? It's it's apparently spreading all over the Metro Atlanta area. One allergy clinic alone has more than four hundred patients who have been bitten by it. You get bitten by this tick, you suddenly can no longer eat meat from other mammals no bacon no pork chops no steaks no hamburgers you become allergic to red meat after being bitten by this tick that's becoming more and more common in the southeast i'm horrified by this idea oh stay inside people 
there is a new website. Well, apparently this website's been around since 2015 called inspirobot.me. I-N-S-P-I-R-O-B-O-T dot M-E. And it is a um, machine learning, I won't say AI, but machine learning inspiration quote uh, website where you can go generate an inspirational picture for Instagram with these absurd quotes. Uh, Here's the one I just did. Time. When you're young, you always try to drive what is known to be undrivable. (laughs) That's okay. Let's do another one here. Uh, um, here's another one. You must always try to slap what society finds unslappable. What seems cool to politicians seems uncool to a servant. I just, I don't know who comes up with these websites. Yeah. RT on Twitter says that this Lone Star tick is clearly a, a peta tick. Um, <laughs> makes you not want to eat me. Did you know uh, PETA or PETA, whatever? They put out a tweet the other day asking people why you should eat bacon. It blew up in their face. Got millions of comments back to them ridiculing them. Try to be the reason somebody feels good about their body. That's another one of these inspirational quotes. We'll move on to serious stuff when we come back. Thirty-nine after the hour. Let me give you the play-by-play on the radar, and forgive me. I know people complain, but we got so many people on the road this evening trying to head out of town for Fourth of July weekend, and there are a lot of storms in the area. Uh, there is a big one right now over the perimeter on the west side at I-20. A lot of heavy rain there. It stretches from Decatur down to Panthersville, across over to Redan, up to Lilburn. Uh, it is moving at 22 miles an hour, and it is headed basically following I-20 all the way out to Covington, where you're going to start getting rain in the next 20 minutes. The Loganville, Grayson, Snellville area, uh, you are getting a lot of rain out there now uh riverdale union city lovejoy hampton mcdonough you're going to be getting rain here very soon palmetto and fairburn also a lot of rain in carroll county uh heavy storms moving through the area right now carrollton is about to get hit again with a heavy band of storms uh that looks like there may be a little hail in that storm um, more is coming in from Alabama. Uh, we had the lull, but uh, now it's sweeping back into the area. Following roughly I-20, if you're in the I-20 area, uh, 20 miles north or south of I-20, basically, you're going to be getting a lot of rain in the next couple of hours. So uh, just be careful if you're out on the roads. Be sure your headlights are on even at this time of night. And then up 85 at the 985 split, some very light rain, nothing heavy in that area, though. Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook says that Facebook could become your church. And what he means by that is that Facebook could essentially replace your local community. Y'all, so this is not a plug for my book. It, it really isn't. Um, but I got to just tell you, that's, that's one of the things I write about in the book. As more and more people, Zuckerberg included, say this. Well, first of all, the reason he says stuff like this is because he's the CEO of Facebook. He's got every incentive to make you use it. You're not going to go to church on Facebook. 
You go to church where you're surrounded with other people and you're not surrounded with other people on Facebook. And this is part of the problem of modern society is that we create communities in our own image where our neighbor next door is not in our community, but the guy who thinks exactly like I do on the internet is. And so we never have to confront someone who disagrees with us. So we don't have to learn civility and how to engage the person who disagrees with us because everyone in our community agrees with us because they're only in our community by virtue of agreeing with us. The online is not a substitute for the offline. The digital is not a substitute for the real. It was never meant to be. And yet more and more of us are staring at our phones and our computer screens and our Facebook friends and Twitter and Instagram than we are the person next door. I bet there are people listening to this program right now, a good number of them, who do not know the name of the person across the street or next door to them in an apartment or condo. And that is a sad and damning indictment on modern 21st century society in America. Because we become self-absorbed with these digital things. And when you got guys like Zuckerberg saying that, that Facebook can become your new church, that should be a red flag popping off for you. It should be. Breaking bread around your dinner table is a vastly more rewarding, soul-nourishing experience than clicking the like button on Facebook. It really is. Don't take my word for it. Try it. Invite people over for dinner. I just, the internet is becoming increasingly the thing that's going to tear us apart. It is. I know from firsthand experience, I know from my own experience, I know from my own behavior that people get addicted to the thrill of the retweet and the buzz. And I have to be mindful sometimes when I get into that mindset that you're you're looking to provoke people online on social media. I mean, I don't, I've done plenty of things that have made the New York Times that I'm not proud of, most of it on Twitter. And I see more and more people like that. I, I see certain celebrities on the right and the left who say more and more outrageous things because they believe more and more now that they're not relevant or noticed unless people are tweeting them, retweeting them, talking about them on social media. And the way that you can get people to talk about you on social media is to be bombastic, to say outrageous things. And then that trickles over from online to offline. More and more people then do this. More and more people, they, they amplify their bad behavior online and they do it offline. They see the president's tweets and they think it's acceptable and so they do it offline as well. They excuse it online, they expect to excuse it offline, and then they become tribal. And the person who is their friend in the tribe, it doesn't matter what they do, as long as they do the bad thing to the person in the other tribe, it's the other tribe's fault. And we're just going to excuse it, ignore it, apologize for it, defend it, whatever. It's just, it's, it's sad that you got guys like Zuckerberg who are trying to rope more and more people in online when everybody, I mean, he just took a, a, glow, a, a trip across the nation to see people offline. He should be encouraging that. 
I am reminded, I tried to put it out of my mind and repress the thought, but I've got to play an annoying sounder here, and 10 of you are going to win four tickets each to go to the July 20th uh, Gwinnett Braves game with Mark Aram and crew. If you want to win, you got to call 404-741-0750, but not until the next half hour when you hear this annoying sound on Mark Aram show. Where's the sound? I heard somebody fart, but I didn't hear the sound. Oh, that wasn't somebody pooting on air. That was the actual sound. So when you hear somebody pass gas in the next half hour, uh, that's the sound. Now, the person who's passing gas in your car, don't call for that one. It's going to apparently be Mark Aram passing gas in the next 30 minutes, and you can win tickets to go to the Gwinnett Braves. It is 55 after the hour. Let's go back to the phones. David and Palmetto, you're next. Welcome. Hello, Eric. Hi there. Yeah, I I have that uh that uh, allergy to to meat from a bite from a Lone Star tick. Oh no. Uh, so y- you can't eat steak? No, no pork, no bacon, no hamburger. And believe me, I watch food shows all the time and I just drool and watch. Oh, that's horrible! I, I, I just, ooh, I gotta spray around my house now. This is this this is horrifying to me because you know my eight year old he only eats bacon, so if he got bit by this thing, he'd starve to death. Well, it seems like some of the best recipes for hamburgers came out right after that, like grinding up bacon and mixing it with your burger before you cook it, and then oh, I yeah, it, it is tough. It is very well, tough, but. Rather than die, I'll eat chicken or fish or whatever it takes. Well, you know, David, maybe modern medicine will at some point come up with a, some way to get around this for you. Well, some people, it, it eventually goes away, and some people, it stays with their with them their whole life. Uh, the author, John Grisham, has Oh, my goodness. I, yeah, well, I got to leave it there, David. You're going to give me nightmares now at the thought of not being able to eat meat. You guys have a wonderful weekend. It is raining out there on I-20 east of the city and more coming in. Stay safe. Have a good weekend. And I will be back with you on Monday.